Hey everybody, one of my favorite things about working in a school is actually getting to learn from the people that I get to work with. Someone I've been incredibly blessed by over the years is Bible teacher Ray Vanderlaan. Many of you listening know Ray and have been challenged and encouraged by his work of engaging the Bible in light of its historical and cultural context. So I host a separate podcast called Lighting a Fire in partnership with Christian Schools International that gives me the opportunity to talk with various Christian leaders around the world. And recently, I got to connect with Grammy award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae. And in the course of conversation, he shared how he's been greatly impacted by Ray's teaching too. So long story short, a few weeks later, the three of us gathered electronically for a conversation about faith and culture that you'll hear in just a minute. But can I just say how fortunate our school community is to have someone like Ray investing in our students. I shouldn't even be surprised anymore when I get to talk with someone like Lecrae and they can't believe that I actually get to work with Ray Vanderlaan. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Skipper's Construction for sponsoring this season of the HC Medium Talk podcast. If you're thinking of starting a new build or remodeling your current home, make sure you click the link in the show notes to find out more. Okay, without further ado, here's Ray Vanderlaan and Lecrae for a conversation on faith and culture. Lecrae and Ray Vanderlaan. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. I've got goosebumps over here being able to talk to two of my heroes at the same time. Lecrae, Ray has agreed to wrap all his answers to any of the questions. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) No, I don't think Ray has. (laughs) Maybe I got that wrong. Forget it, Ray. You're off the hook. No no wrapping today. Let's start with this, though. I know both of you find enormous value in understanding the Eastern context of the Bible and studying the the Jewishness of Jesus and his world. Can you talk a little bit about what have been some of the biggest aha moments for you as you read the Bible in this context? Or maybe like this, what do you find so surprising about Jesus and his ministry when he's understood in light of his world? Mm, That's a good question. I I really, I think as of late, I think what I've been learning is how he really did not fit the empire, Roman empirical world that existed at that time. I don't, I I think sometimes I don't pay attention to how the world functioned and, um, and I'm, I'm zeroed in on how, how Christ functioned. And then when I zoom out and see like, oh, this is what was going on in the world. I, I kind of get it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, he would have been seen as a a very interesting figure during that time period. But I guess for me, I take note that he knew that he would be rejected. And I think we live in a society now where rejection is like the worst possible thing in the mm. worst, like mm-hmm. you know, media and all that. I agree. Um, and, he, and, he, and he embraced it. And that's uh, that's that's powerful to me. Yeah. I appreciate that question, and I like that answer very much. He didn't fit their expectations. They had ransacked their scriptures to discover that when Israel was righteous and under oppression and suffering, that Messiah would come, there would be judgment of the wicked, there would be punishment of those who had oppressed Israel, their oppressors would be destroyed, Israel would get their land back, and they would live this a wonderful idyllic existence in the promised land. 
And Messiah came as he was promised, but they suddenly discovered that this Messiah who called himself Messiah, his way was to say, the way we change the world is not to kill, not to destroy, not to to, uh, send people into destruction because they've oppressed us. What we're going to do is we're going to love our enemy and we're going to pray for those who persecute us and we're going to turn the other cheek and we're going to walk the extra mile. And all of a sudden, they had to think, not only do we have to answer, is this the Messiah figure? Clearly, he had messianic power. But they also had to wrestle with, could we have been this wrong about what he's supposed to do? You know, even John the Baptist says to Jesus, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one? Which is their code for saying the one who will come to destroy the Romans, to get rid of the um, corrupt priesthood in Jerusalem, to... Uh, punish the wicked. Are you this coming one? If you are, we'll get after it. How come you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? So mm-hmm. he knew Jesus was Messiah, but he had misunderstood. Uh, John says he came to his own, but his own received him not. And I think his own received him not because he wasn't what they thought. Do you sometimes, the I'm thinking for you, do you, do you sometimes think that maybe just as Messiah perhaps needed redefining or at least reimagining, re-understanding. Do you think sometimes Christian needs redefining or re-understanding as well, similarly, that this isn't come to find out about winning or conquering, but about loving one's neighbor sacrificially? Hmm. I, I, I would totally say yes. The more I begin to study, as, as Ray uh, talked about the Jewishness of of Jesus and just the Jewishness of the scriptures, the Torah, and and the more I begin to understand the context of it all, the idea of Christian becomes really, really Western. Hmm. You know, the ideas that have been pre- presented to us, um, you know, over time, and I'm not just speaking of 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 America I'm speaking even since like Constantine you know there's just a really western kind of of slant to the whole idea of what it means to be a Christian uh to where you're putting a cross on your shield in order to win a war and it, you know like you said it it becomes about winning it becomes about conquest and conquering and less about if history serves me correct, the term Christian initially was derogatory and it was like all oh, these little Christ followers. Hmm. And to be a little Christ follower would be one who functioned in loving your enemies in service in uh humility and and grace. And um and I think somewhere along the line, you know, we've kind of gotten not kind of, we've gotten away from that idea and gotten away from that. And so for me now, I would say I'm in the process of reconstruction. I've done a lot of deconstruction. I mean, we're always being deconstruction and reconstructing, but a, a lot of deconstruction. And now I'm in reconstruction mode where I'm I'm trying to see things as as Christ would have me see them and not as culture would have me see them. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to see the culture through the lens of Christ and not see Christ through the lens of culture. Ooh, that's profound. That's really good. I like that. You know, there's a maybe as a follow up question to what you just said, Lecrae, that's a wonderful point that there's not just the Eastern culture of the Bible, but as news about this Jesus guy spreads around the world, there's also the cultures of those receiving this news at play 
what what do you think is the relationship supposed to be like between a follower of Jesus and the culture in which they live? <laughs> now that's deep. You know, <laughs> what what I what comes to my mind when you say that is that classic uh, idea that there is a fundamental emphasis in East and West that is different. In the West, the descendants of the Greeks, um, the fundamental emphasis is definition, proposition, systematic explanation. It is the transfer of information. That's how we pursue truth. That's how we express truth. So the question that comes is, do you believe this? Do you understand what I'm saying? And do you believe what I'm saying? And that's really a wonderful, really good thing. But we tend to want as Christians to ask our culture, here's what we believe is truth. Do you believe this? And, and I hope we all ask that question on a regular basis. In the Eastern culture, they do that too. But the preference is to emphasize experiential learning. So do you experience this? Do you know this? There's the, the well-known Hebrew word in the Bible, yada, which we usually translate to know or its derivatives, knowledge. Know means to experience intimately. And Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That knowing is experiential. So God says to Israel, live in such a way that people will know me, not know about me, not know information about me only. That's good. I want them to experience me through you. And it seems like somehow we need to reclaim that emphasis too in our Western Christianity, that God's desire is people experience him. David says to Goliath, I'm going to throw this stone at you and the world will know the God of Israel. Now, they won't know about him, maybe. They won't know his name, but they will experience his uh, miraculous power that flows through this little shepherd kid. And I think that's really important as we approach culture, that we not only need to tell culture what truth looks like in our opinion, but we need to live in such a way that culture experiences what God is like and who mm. God is mm. in us. It, I'm curious uh, in you saying that, Ray, is, is God extremely gracious to us because we don't have this understanding, like I, I just imagine all just year after year, mm -hmm. century after century of us not grasping that experiential kind uh, uh, way to process things. And I'm wondering, is it like, is it that God is very gracious to us and allowing us to still know Him and serve Him even in our misguided attempts and understanding? Obviously, He's gracious to us, or are we? responsible uh to say wait a minute i i'm looking at things from the wrong perspective because it, had i not i'm just candidly had i not begun to somebody had given me one of uh your dvds years ago and had i not seen that i would have never thought that i was i, I would have been engaging my bible in a, in a way that was not necessarily beneficial for me and so i'm mm -hmm. just wondering well, that's that's a profound question, and I can bail on it by saying yes. But <laughs> my my think my thinking goes like this: When Israel was in that position where they simply were not living out the mission, whether for intellectual reasons or for direct disobedience reasons, two things seemed to happen. 
One, God puts them in a position where they have to choose, are we going to live this or not? Hmm. Sometimes it's a famine. Sometimes it's being in the desert. Sometimes it's an enemy. I wonder sometimes if American Christianity isn't headed for some really, really tough times where God puts us in a position where he says, you're going to have to live this faith that you claim to have Hmm. because you're not going to be a political majority or you're not going to be uh, those who can define the nature of the culture. You're going to have to live your culture and be countercultural. The other thing is that's scary to me, and I want to ask this in terms of my own life. I don't want to judge others, but in, in Israel's case, when it reached the point that they had abandoned the mission, God begins to look for others. He doesn't mm-hmm. give up on Israel, but he basically says, now it's time to bring in the Gentiles and give them this mission as well. And, and I wonder sometimes whether Western Christianity has so redefined the mission as, as um, economic prosperity or military superiority or whatever we would see as being the nature of what makes us a distinctively Christian nation, have redefined it so poorly that Christian leadership is going to have to come from somewhere else, from the third world, from, from wow. places where people suffer. Um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Hmm. That's profound. Hmm. That's profound. That's a great question, Lecrae, one I ask as well. Like sometimes the Bible culturally seems almost inaccessible and it takes somebody like a ray to, to kind of, oh, and to get a sense of the, the Eastern culture, in this case of the biblical text. It's a, a great question. Yeah, and Ray, about about the living it versus just thinking it. I was laughing when I was typing up potential questions for this conversation the word orthodoxy, you know, right thinking or orthodox thinking, that is a word, but orthopraxy has a squiggly line underneath it when I type it into a word document. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I thought that was was telling that that's not even necessarily a concept that we're used to talking about. Mm, yeah, yeah they, I had a rabbi say once, there really is not a biblical Hebrew word for heresy. We use the word disobedience. Oh, man. Wow. That is good. Wow. I'm I'm curious in this you being a teacher, Ray, and um you you have taught for years and you have students who have embraced your teaching and then they've gone and and may have had different various perspectives and, and so on and so forth. Like I guess how does that work in terms of you know, you think about ancient Jewish culture and a rabbi and then the rabbi students, like, is there room to like, I don't know, like I'm thinking of martial arts, you you get your black belt and then it's like, you know what, I'm going to adapt on this a little bit. Or, <laughs> like, how does that work? <laughs> you know, there again, you, you get into a difference between East and West, where in the e- in the West, where we are, you tend to talk about personal devotions and I'm personally studying Um, Right now, I'm in the book of Gospel of John again, and we do it on our own and try and arrive at truth. And we consult other scholars and other experts, but we want to arrive at truth. In the East, study is always in community. Mm. And so you submit yourself to the discipline of a community that loves the scripture and honors the scripture as being given by God and whose spirit guides us as we study it together. 
And so my final test of interpretation or application is always, does this fit the community? Mm. I've had the privilege of studying under or from some of the great scholars of the last hundred years or so who've looked at Eastern and Jewish thinking. And I look at myself as someone who's not the author of this, but someone who's learned enough about the vocabulary and the categories. Mm. So I can take material like that and bring it to 18 year olds who sit in my high school class. <laughs> and, and so I'm very dependent on three things. I'm very dependent on this group of scholars. And I always look at not do I agree with their, their interpretation, but what's their view of scripture? How high a view of scripture do they have? How much do they take God seriously as being the God of the word? Mm. And two, I always try and do this in community. So I have a number of people. I would never teach something that's a new idea to me if I haven't run it past this group to say, beat on it, guys. Tell me where it's faithful to the text. Tell me where it's unfaithful to the text. I want this to be the product of a community of study because Jesus said, where two or three gather, there I am. That seems to be a rephrasing of a Jewish saying, where two or three study Torah, God is present. And I think Jesus is not simply saying where two or three gather, I'll show up and have coffee with you. But I think the idea is where two or three gather to be immersed in the study of who he was and what he taught. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's really important as well. And then the third thing I need are the students. And I constantly ask questions or look for their feedback, not so much that they judge what I teach. They're not capable yet of making some of those calls. But if I begin to see things in their responses that lead me to say, whoa, wait a minute, if that's where they're going with this, then I got to be more careful of how I share it with them because I see them going off the path here. Um, those are kinds of ways that I try and stay faithful to the mm. text. Mm. That's good. That's good. That's wise. Hey, when it, you know, we're talking about these potential challenges when it comes to faith in various cultural contexts, and there definitely are those, right? I mean, the backdrop of the New Testament is, is essentially a cultural question of, okay, what do we do with Gentiles? Do they have to be circumcised, et cetera? But there's also something really cool, and, and, and I think contributes to the authenticity of this Jesus guy that from its outset, Christianity has been a multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural faith. I'm thinking just the early centers of Christianity, North Africa, you've got Alexandria and modern day Turkey, Constantinople, as well as Rome. What value is there in Christians from different cultures being in community with one another? That's a good question. I, I, I would just say from, from my vantage point, I think proximity makes a huge difference. Obviously, we all come to assumptions based off of something we've seen or heard. And until we have proximity, I think we miss out on uh, unique vantage points and unique mm -hmm. perspectives um, that just were not applicable to us. You know, and I, I mean, because you're always going to write yourself into the story or the perspective if you don't have a, a, a different vantage point. You're always going to write in your unique, your assumption into it. You know, I remember reading um, uh, in Proverbs, I think it was, or, or the Psalms, I'm, I, I forget, but just their, their throats are an open grave, right? And, yeah. I, and when I read that, my brain just immediately went to a, a hole in the ground with a coffin. 
Hmm. And I think having proximity to people who, you know, that that's not the way they function culturally. That's not the way they do things. They, they bury people in a cave or d- different. They, they just see things from a different perspective. You're like, oh, I never would have seen it from that vantage point. It, yeah. it has a different, I have to process things differently. And so I think that's a small example, but, you know, something along the lines of, of the marginalized and, mm. you know, we tend to see ourselves as we read the scriptures as the kings and, and we see ourselves as David and we see ourselves as, you know, uh, Solomon and not, we don't typically see ourselves as the woman who was bleeding for 12 years or, yeah, you true. know, we don't, and I think having relationships with people in different communities and, and, and social economic classes and, and, and uh, cultural vantage points helps you see things differently. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I never would have seen it from, that's how you relate to the scripture when you see it. I never would have come to it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. I think, I think as he talks, it, it strikes me that um, God made us in his image. So in some sense, every human being, regardless of how diverse their culture or their ethnicity or their race or their, their background, we are all reflections of the creator in that sense. And yet we also represent the incredible diversity that God has built into his world and built mm. into the humanity that he created. And it strikes me the value of being in community with a diverse group is we begin to discover what is truly what should make us a unity in that community. It's not Amen. culture, Amen. it's mm. not language, it's not uh taste in dress in terms of cultural taste it is our image bearing nature of the creator of the universe restored then in a christian situation by the redemption of our messiah jesus and the greater our diversity the more we highlight our unity in that sense Mm. wow that's good that's Mm. that's a retweet (laughs) (laughs) let let me ask can i ask lecrae a question please what one of the things that i find um so inspiring is how you and people like you in the world of art music how you reach the younger generation i work with high school kids and i know um where their heart struggles are what Mm. would you say is the biggest soft spot and by soft spot i mean pain point but also where that where people kids can be influenced of that generation you mentioned of 17 to 35 or whatever it was you said when you when you put together music when you think about your art form and you're presenting god's truth to to that group what do you aim for mm. yeah I, well one i think people in general s- struggle with identity and and who they are and where they belong but i think there's something unique about you know the millennial and younger generation that their whole existence has been about how they're perceived by others because they they live online where the world can have a perspective in an instant something they say can be seen by the entire globe you know by millions of people and so they're extremely um, sensitive to their who they are and their worth and their value as it pertains to society. And so there's 
a crushing weight that mm-hmm. sits on their shoulders oftentimes as, as far as um, how they're perceived and where their worth comes from and 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 mm-hmm. the whole idea of being canceled. You know, we live in what's called cancel culture where it's it's not real in a lot of ways, right? It's all kind of of, of figurative. But, it, but we believe it. It's all virtual, but we believe that some kind of way our value has now been destroyed because somebody didn't didn't like our picture or someone, you know, said something we said, it, it went viral or things along those lines. And so I, I think this, the soft spot for me now is, is helping them reaffirm that their worth and their value is not connected to how people perceive them, to how uh, what people say about them. I, I say often, if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. <laughs> and that's a retweet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just I, I'm blown away at as you mentioned before. Uh, we're made in the image of God, and and that connectivity that happens when we're around each other. I'm blown away at how loving and gracious God is toward toward individuals in scripture and in ourselves and how our worth and our value is really connected to that. And it's so hard, I, I feel like, for people to see that that being connected to, to the creator of the universe and knowing the Messiah, the Redeemer, gives you infinite value mm-hmm. and worth and purpose. And, um, and so I think the more you know your creator, the more you understand the value of you as creation. Wow. And uh, and and so that's where I'm I'm constantly trying to to tell stories and articulate things that help them see that their worth and their value is not wrapped up in being like I mean and not to belabor the point but I just I just remember in school it was kind of like I'm I'm like the oldest millennial so I'm old enough to remember when you couldn't retweet anything about it, but I'm young enough to know how all of that works and affects us and I think. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was kind of like if something crazy happened, if if you did something very embarrassing at school, there was no, you know, you were upset that maybe the kids at school would know about it. But now I just that's an uh, uh, unnecessary pressure that I think young people feel now is that the world is now going to yeah, know yeah. how terrible or how embarrassing of wow. a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's, that's, that's right on. That's really true. Wow. Ray, I know you weren't asking me. I don't I don't have quite as big of a following as Lecrae, but I've been interested in how students seem to be gravitating toward por- portions of the scriptures uh, lament. And mm. I don't know if it's the the this desire for authenticity that that's so pre- prevalent in the younger generation, but there's something about hearing lament that I think strikes students and also also the the fact that the Bible has a capacity for these kinds of questions and desperate calling outs to God. Mm. Uh, That's been interesting to me too. And something that I think is reflected in a lot of what you've done too, Lecrae, that in a song, there's the capacity for lament in a powerful way. And you Mm. do that really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Guys, here's a question I, I've been wrestling with for a while now. In these polarizing times, many Christian communities, I'm thinking churches, but also Christian schools, which we're a part of, have avoided talking about anything remotely political for the sake of unity. And I understand mm-hmm. that. And yet, as a Bible teacher, 
I, I, I understand that the Bible, while not partisan, certainly is political in the sense that it has implications for how we organize our communities or do life together. How do you navigate that tangledness? Is it possible to pursue both unity, but also speak with conviction about potentially polarizing issues? Well, let me, let me, I can address it from one point of view. I'm eager to hear what Lecrae says because he addresses such a different audience in a way. But for me, I think of Jesus as a model in this regard. He lived under the Roman imperial rule. It was about as pagan and corrupt as anything that's ever existed in the history of the world. It was extremely immoral. The emperor himself was a megalomaniac of the highest degree, and yet Jesus never once seems to address issues of politics. He doesn't talk about the emperor. He doesn't talk about imperial Rome. He doesn't talk about even the oppression by imperial Rome of the people he was ministering to. What Jesus does is talk about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And I think one of the things that I find doesn't solve this problem, Bryant, but I think addresses it. If we understand kingdom in the Jewish mind, not as a territory or a place, but kingdom is where the king's will is done. The principle becomes in the given situation that we want to investigate in this Bible class or wherever it is, we ask the question, what is doing God's will look like here? I don't have to criticize a politician. I don't have to criticize a political party. I don't have to criticize the emperor. What I can do is say in this situation where there are hurting people or where there is injustice or where there is immorality, what does doing the king's will look like in that situation? And then as part of a community, to begin to seek to practice that so the kingdom comes where his will is done. That, I think, addresses all these political issues without getting into the politics. Mm, I totally agree. I mean, that's I'm, I'm always reminded of how, I don't know if it's, be, if it's because it wasn't necessary, you know, because he had a different agenda. And so it wasn't necessary to bring up all of the the politics of the day in Jesus's time. But I'm always blown away at how, you know, as they're singing Hosanna and he's coming in that many people thought he was going to be a political savior. And that's what they were anticipating. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like challenged because he's, he's coming to say, I have a whole different agenda and a different way of, of seeing transformation happen. Amen. Mm -hmm. And um, and I am just challenged by that because I, when you begin when you talk like that, it's you're so easily misunderstood, and yep. and I and I get misunderstood all the time, you know. And I, I say, hey, let's not play the empire's game. Let's yeah. be about the kingdom, not the empire. You Amen. know, I I bring up uh, Ben Hur and how, you know, during the uh, the the chariot races. After after he won, the Romans said, oh, man, are you sad? The Jews won. And and they're like, no, we're not sad. They're playing our game. That's what we wanted the whole time. Yeah. And so yeah. I I hate being misunderstood. But at the same time, I realized Christ was the most misunderstood up to the point of, of right. being killed. Yeah. And so I think in order you're, you're just going to have to rail against the idea of political uh, authority in terms of like, this is the way that things will be accomplished and, and won. 
is if there's a a collaboration between our faith and and the political realm. And I think honestly, if the political realm isn't overcome by thy thy kingdom come, thy will be done, then it it just seeks to be empirical. And an empire doesn't have a kingdom agenda. An empire just wants to win at the cost of whoever, at the cost of the most vulnerable, at the cost of whoever. So all that to say, I I hate being misunderstood, but I, I'm often challenged to say, man, I'm just going to have to take this one on the chin and say that um, it's not that politics don't matter. It's that there's a greater agenda that politics ultimately have to bow down to. Yeah. Amen. I, I heard, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of when you live and believe and proclaim the kingdom of heaven, it will always critique the empire. Mm. Um, and I don't think you have to mention the empire, but it will be clear that the empire g- runs by a very different set of rules than the kingdom does. Mm. And the way I find with students that you reach people who feel empire is where they want to be is to reach their hearts with the Jesus message, not to change the politics of the moment. Mm. Kingdom happens when people join the kingdom. That's good. That's wow. That's profound. Man, guys, this has been the most fun conversation I've had maybe ever. I don't believe it yet either. I'll tell you, it's amazing. (laughs) Hey guys, we got just a couple minutes before Lecrae has to run to his next interview. Any questions you have for each other? For someone out there, especially like any of my followers, because they're always trying to understand like where I come, where'd you get this perspective? You know, what would be for for you, Ray, how would you tell someone to, I mean, you obviously said community reading, but it's just someone who's saying, man, I've listened to this conversation. Where do I begin? I know you're your teachings were my introduction and and then it opened me up to a whole world of other communicators and, and thinkers but i'm just wondering for what would you tell somebody who's who's okay. seeking and that, that's a really good question because that's to me and, and i want to emphasize so much it's not that we've got everything wrong it's just that there's a more to it sometimes than what we've seen or what we think about so mm. i would recommend you want me to name the sources is that what you're asking sure. I would, yeah i would recommend four things. Um, There's a book called Epic of Eden, Epic of Eden, like the Garden of Eden, Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter that takes a look at the whole biblical story from the point of view of the ancient culture that it was part of. And I find that to be remarkably uh, complete and helpful Um, Anytime a scholar writes, you might not agree with every detail, but it is really good at capturing the nature of how the biblical story fits into this ancient world that it was put in by God himself. Then there's a three-part series um, by an author that's local here, Lois Tverberg. Um, There's three books. One is Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, One is walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. And the third one is reading the Bible in reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. All three get into the nature of how does using an Eastern approach to the text not change necessarily what we've believed, but add even more insight to it. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be extremely useful. 
And then there's a third volume that I often give to first timers. It's much more ponderous. So I wouldn't start with it as a great book, but it's huge. It's called Mission of God by George Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. That is really, really good at capturing the essence that God has been up to the same thing since day one. He wants a community of people who become living visual metaphors of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He wanted Adam and Eve to do that. He wanted Noah and Abraham and Moses to do that, Israel to do that, and Jesus came to do that as well. Those are three um, places that I often send people at the beginning. And then the bibliographies in all of them are extensive. So your natural, I want to know more about, would be uh, in the bibliography of those of those sources. That's good. Lecrae and Ray, I have been, this has just been a gift. I'm so grateful for your time. Let's do this again. I'd love to do, to learn more from you, both of you. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Thank yeah. you. Next year in Jerusalem, we say, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Thanks for listening to today's conversation. If you have questions or ideas for future episodes, you can email me at bruss, that's B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. A big shout out to senior Caleb Reitman for creating the beat used in today's show. We've got some seriously talented students in this place, and next week you'll get to hear from our own Emma Kern as she interviews two students who've created a podcast of their own. Thanks for listening. Thank you.